Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you, Josh and worship team and, and our choir this morning got a choir song in. I love that song, My Jesus. So thank you so much, Linus and worship. Hey, 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you have your Bibles while you're turning again, church, thank you so much. My pastor appreciation gift could not have been better uh, to get to go to the World Series game. First World Series game, I think, in 22 years in um, uh, Braves history. And I read yesterday the Braves were... Oh, for tw- they never won a World Series game at their last park, Turner Field. And so Truist has been kinder to us. So it was great to be there for a win. Thank you so much. I, we loved it. Absolutely loved it. Well, I started, it seems like forever ago, a sermon series uh, through uh, talking about King David, a person after God's heart. How do we become a person after God's heart? And so uh, we're just looking at four things that that really were true in David's life that ought to be true in ours and first thing we looked at was doing your part David early on decided he was going to do the part God had called him to do and we have to do that as well and so today I I want to preach on this subject when we look at the life of King David maybe the most um, familiar story about King David and that is taking down your giant here's what that means that a person after God's heart, hear me, wins their battles, wins their battles. Now, I want to be careful this morning, whether you're watching online or you're watching Rossville or here in the room at Rock Spring, hear me, we, we can't take an Old Testament story and make it apply uh, lock and stitch to a New Testament principle necessarily. So I, I, I can't say, well, here's how David defeated the giant Goliath back, you know, thousands of years ago. And here's how we defeat our enemy in our life. It doesn't work exactly that way. But what we can do is grab some pointers on how to fight in the Christian life. And so that's what I want to do today. Let's pick up some pointers on how to fight in the Christian life. And let's talk about how we can take down giants in our lives and even win the battles in our life. So 1 Samuel 17 Uh, Just hold your Bible there. We'll read there in a moment. We're going to read quite a few verses this morning, but just hold it there. We'll read there just a moment. One of the most overlooked sports in the United States, especially now, is boxing. Boxing has been a craze for a long time. As a matter of fact, I remember when I was a little boy back in the 80s, a teenager back in the 80s, that some boxing matches were just iconic. And it got me to thinking, what would be the most famous boxing matches of all time, especially uh, at least in the last hundred years or so. And when I dug a little deeper into it, I discovered that almost everybody would agree that these top five boxing matches were the greatest boxing matches of all time. Now, some of them have them in different order, but most would agree these, uh, at least these were in the top five or top 10. See how many of these you remember. First of all was 1985, Hagler versus Hearns. Anybody remember that uh, boxing match at all? It was, the, it was described as the best middleweight fight in boxing history. As a matter of fact, the fight only went three rounds, but it was described as eight minutes of fury. 
And the bout in 1985, even though it went three rounds, which was unusual, won the fight of the year in 1985. Hagler versus Hounds. But then the, uh, Hearns. But there's another one you'll remember, and that is maybe George Foreman versus Muhammad Ali. Now, you, I, this was 1974. You probably weren't even born then. I'll give you credit. You were probably too young to remember Hagler, uh, I mean, to remember Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman the first time around. But if I say these words, you'll know it. It was described or billed as the rumble in the jungle. How many of you have ever heard of the rumble in the jungle? That was this fight. This was also the fight where Foreman literally beat Ali to a to a bloody pulp, as some would say. But that was Ali's plan the whole time. He was trying to get uh, Foreman to tire himself out by beating uh, Ali up. And it worked. And it was in the eighth round that Ali came back and landed a bunch of quick combinations and went on to win the fight. And it was in that fight in 1974 that Ali's fighting style was named, does anybody remember what it was named? Rope-a-dope. Rope-a-dope. So even though you may not uh, have been born in 1974, it's when Ali invented the rope-a-dope, then we still talk about that today. And then I, I remember this bout uh, again as well. It was 1980, Sugar Ray Leonard versus Roberto Duran, their second, their second boxing match. It was listed as the super fight, and Duran had won the first fight by unanimous decision, and he had taken Sugar Ray Leonard's title away from him. But here they are going again, and in the eighth round, finally Leonard won by TKO and got his title back, and it was talked about all around the world. And then there was 1971, Joe Frazier versus Muhammad Ali. How many of you have even heard of Joe Frazier? You heard of Joe Frazier? Yeah, you've heard of Joe Frazier. It was billed as the fight of the century. It was the most anticipated fight in the boxing world in the world up to that point. It was the first time ever that two undefeated heavyweight boxers fought for the championship. And in the 15th round, Frazier hit Ali with one of the most iconic left hooks in boxing history. And eventually Fraser won by unanimous decision. But then finally, number one, listed as by many the greatest boxing match in history was again Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier and it was the third time they fought in 1975. This one had a title as well. They fought in Manila. Does anybody remember what they called the battle? The Thriller in Manila. It was the first, third time they had fought, and Frazier had won the first, and Ali the second, and this had that kind of anticipation with, with it, where finally Ali got all the momentum in the battle, and they, uh, Frazier threw in the towel, I think it was in the 14th round, and Ali had won two of the three fights, and he finally won the last one that we term the Thriller in Manila. You barely hear about boxing anymore, but when you go back and study, there were absolutely iconic fights, boxing matches that we still talk about today. We still know the language of them today. We still know the nicknames of today. But yet with all of that power and all of that fighting, all of that boxing doesn't hold a candle to the fight that took place in David's life. I know some of you have to be thinking, 
Talking about a lot of fighting this morning, preacher, early on in the sermon. I know, what does boxing have to do with the Christian life? What does fighting have to do with the Christian life? Well, the fact that you asked the question means you may be missing some Bible verses. For example, Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 12, that we are to fight the good fight of the faith. That we ourselves are in an iconic boxing match. That we are in a fight. That we are in a battle. That we have an enemy. That we need to put up our dukes and get busy in a fight. But that's not the only verse. We see here in 2 Corinthians 6, 7, by the word of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Again, Paul said, you are in a battle, you are in a fight, you need a weapon in the right hand, a weapon in the left hand. Why? Because we're in a battle. He said it again in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, for although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Paul said, you're not just in a fight you're not just in a wrestling match you're not just in a boxing match that the child of God has to wage war in the Christian life but he's not done Ephesians 6 10 he said this finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and the power of his might Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Paul told us in Ephesians 6.10 that where he tells us about armor and weapons that we need to be strong in the Lord. And finally, when Paul was leaving this world, Paul said about himself, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race, I've kept the faith. I have fought a good fight. Paul was trying to tell you that throughout his life, he had been in war. Throughout his life, he had been in a battle. Throughout his life, he had been in a boxing match. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen, we are in a battle. We are in a fight. And every Christian is waging war every day against the forces of darkness that come against us, the forces of darkness that come against our minds and try to corrupt our minds, the forces of darkness that come against our morality and try to thwart our moral living, our holiness, the forces of God that come against our bodies and try to get us to sin in our bodies, the forces of God that come against our relationships in our lives and try to tear down our relationships, the forces of God that come against our walk with God, the forces of God that uh, of the enemy that come against our our family the forces of our enemy that come against our church we are in a battle hear me our enemy hates all of that and if we're going to be in a battle every day we need every help and every pointer we can get to help us win the fight and when I look in first Samuel 17 I see that when I see David's fight with the giant I see there are some tidbits I can pick up to help me fight the giants in my own life hear me you want to be a person after God's own heart like David was hear me a person after God's own heart will put up a fight a person after God's own heart will fight back against the devil will Fight back against the enemy. Will fight back against the flesh. Will fight back against the culture. A person after God's own heart will fight. One of the most embarrassing verses in the Bible, Paul said this 
He said in 2 Timothy 2, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who were taken captive by him at his will. That there is such a weak version of the Christian life that the devil can set a trap for you and you can be taken captive by him whenever he wants to. You, you've, you've known that Christian, maybe you've been that Christian, maybe you've been in that place in your Christian life, hopefully you are not there now, where you're so weak in your walk with God that the devil has you anytime he wants you. So let's not be that way. Let's learn that, how to win the battles and take down our own giants and let's learn a little bit from David. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it, First Samuel chapter 17. We're going to skip around a little bit, but we'll start in verse 1, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. It's on the screen. If you don't have your Bibles, it's up here anyway. 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. The Philistines gathered their forces for war in Soko in Judah and camped between Soko and Azekah, I'm sorry, Ephes Domin. Those sound better when I say them at home, but here it is what it is. Saul and the Men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. Verse 33. The Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall and then wore a bronze helmet, bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was a bronze armor on, on his shins and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulder his spear shaft was like a weaver's beam the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds in addition a shield bearer was walking in front of him he stood and shouted to the israelite battle formations why do you come out to line up in battle formation he asked them am i not a philistine are you not servants of saul choose one of your men and have him come down against me if he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we'll be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. The Philistines, then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Now David, the son of the Ephrathite from Bethlehem of Judea named Jesse, Jesse had eight sons and during Saul's reign was already an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war and their names were Eliab and the, fir the firstborn, Abinadab and the next Shammah the third and David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. And so the story goes on. I want you to flip over to verse number 41. You know the rest of the story where David is... Uh, uh, David goes and takes, literally runs some cheese and crackers to the front line. And, and the, they, the, David wound up getting put off by the giant and said, I'll fight him. And he tried on Saul's armor and none of that worked. And so we find, up ourselves, find ourselves in verse 41. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he said he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beast. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today the Lord will 
hand you over to me. Today I will strike you down, remove your head, and give your uh, hand, uh, and give the corpse of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky, the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. This whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone and slung it and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. And David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. Thank you. You may be seated. You know this story or you've heard of this story and in modern language we all the time talk about a, a David versus Goliath story. Now I'll be truthful, there were uh, literally there were literally 10 or 15 things I could have said about this story but I want to give you four that really stood out to me that help us in our daily battles in the Christian life. So here's what I want to say this morning, know this, number one, that the other side is no joke. The other side is no joke. Let, let's look across the field at the opponent on the other side of David. Let me say this to you this morning. Goliath was a bad man. Goliath would have had songs written about him. Goliath would have had posters about him. Little Philistine boys would have had pictures of Goliath hanging on their wall in their house talking about what a what a soldier he was what a fighter he was he probably had endorsement deals for tennis shoes and armor and all that stuff Goliath was a bad man the Bible tells us he was about nine and a half feet tall now gigantism was a condition that ran in the city of Gath Goliath may have had that there are modern examples, you can look in the Guinness Book of World Records, there are modern examples of people who were over nine feet tall who had that same disease. He carried a bronze helmet, a helmet that weighed 30 pounds. A bronze coat of mail that weighed 150 pounds. He carried a bronze javelin and had a spear that weighed 30 pounds that included a spearhead made of steel. He was a champion of the Philistine army. He was an experienced fighter. He had skills. He had power. He had know-how. He had training. He had strategy. I'm telling you, Goliath was a bad man. And there is a reason why when he came out every morning to defy the armies of the living God, that the armies on Israel's side said, um, you go fight him. The guy said, I'm not going to go fight him. You go fight him. The other guy said, well, I only fight on Tuesdays, and today's Wednesday, and I'm not going to fight him today. You go fight him. And that had gone on and on and on. It's not because they were cowards. These were men who had fought in battle. These were men who were battle-tested. But I'm telling you, Goliath was a bad man. And hear me this morning, the same is true when it comes to your spiritual battles. Hear me, the enemy that you fight in the Christian life, the enemy that I fight in the Christian life, he is the real deal. And our enemy wants us to fail. Our enemy wants us to sin. Our enemy wants us to fall. 
He wants us to give up, give in, lose, wind up addicted, wind up in chains of sin. He is an experienced fighter and he knows exactly what he's doing when he's coming after you. Hear me, do not underestimate our enemy. The number one mistake we make in fighting battles in the Christian life is we underestimate the enemy we are fighting. Hear me, the enemy we are fighting, he is a bad man. And I think we underestimate what we're up against as if we're fighting a fictitious make-believe enemy as if he's not real as if he's the boogeyman as if he's just somebody that that you hear about in Sunday school but he he doesn't exist in real life no hear me the other side is no joke and he is a very very real enemy January 4th, 2017 in Las Vegas, you can't tell much from that story. It's a night vision photograph. A a homeless man was found dead in Las Vegas. Just months later, that another body of a homeless man was found dead again. And the police had no suspects, no evidence whatsoever. They did think the two killings were linked. First, they both died from head injuries and secondly neither man was robbed of whatever money and possessions they had on them they were just killed viciously and so the police thought they would strike again and so it was on the night of February 22nd 2017 that the assailant struck again Shane Allen Schindler came across a man who was sleeping on the streets in Las Vegas and for for reasons unknown took a ball peen hammer and beat the man's head in. And the police had the whole thing on tape. You say, well, I'm sure he went to jail. Well, it's not quite that simple because Schindler hadn't actually killed a third person. It wasn't from lack of trying. He tried, but it was a mannequin that was laying in the streets. So with no leads to go on after the first attack and no leads to go on after the second attack, the Las Vegas police had set up a trap of what looked like a homeless man and they had uh, they dressed him up, they'd put cameras all around it, they were uh, uh, staking it out as well and sure enough Schindler came along and beat the mannequin to death and so the police were there, they arrested him and charged him with murder. Except... His lawyer argued that you can't murder a mannequin because it's not alive. And they had no evidence against him on the other two, but they knew he did it. Everything matched. And so finally, finally, they they scraped together enough evidence to get him to admit uh, to plead guilty on a lesser charge than the first two, and he did get, wind up getting 20 years in prison. But I love the, uh, 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 the, uh, the lawyer's argument was, hey, that's not a real person. That he hit. And sometimes we kind of view our fight the same way as if, well, he's not real. I mean, I do believe in the devil, but I don't think he's real. He's not coming after me. Hear me this morning. Our enemy is a bad man and he has bad minions. And hear me this morning. Our enemy has a plan. To ruin your life. 
He has a strategy to ruin your life. He has weapons to ruin your life. And they are coming after you. And if you want to be victorious, you've got to take Christian warfare seriously. Prepare for the enemy's attack. That'll come at you daily. That'll attack your spirit and your walk with God. That'll attack your mind. That'll attack your emotions that you have got to learn to fight with the word of God and on your knees and in prayer. He'll wait, hear me, our enemy will wait till you are weak in the Christian life. He'll wait till you are despondent. He'll wait till you are discouraged. He will wait till you are tired. And he has a plan for that very moment in life. And hear me, he is no joke. The battle's real. And so hear me, the other side, the enemy, he's no joke. And he does have a plan to come after you. Second thing I want you to notice about this, I'm just going to hit it quickly and move on, is that they're not mad at you, they're mad at God. You see it, don't, don't turn there, I don't have time to turn there, but you see it in verses 26 and 36. They're, they're not really defying Israel. The Philistines are, are not mad at Israel. They're mad at the God of Israel. This is a cultural war. This is a battle between gods. It always is that way between the Philistines and Israelites. When you read the battles, it's always their God versus our God on this side. And the fact is, David understood it. He was the only man that understood it on the battlefield that day. That this battle was not about the Israelites or David. It was God versus God. They're, they're not mad at you. They're mad at God. And hear me, in our, in our war today, our battle today, our cultural and personal battles today, hear me, it's our God versus their God, little g. It's our way It's the Bible way versus their way. And a person after God's heart keeps that in mind. Why, preacher? The enemy isn't trying to get you to fall because you're all that in the Christian life. The enemy is working against the plan of God. And hear me. When you fail in the battle of the Christian life, it is a mark against the kingdom of God. When you fail in the Christian life, is the enemy interested in, in your fall? Of course he is. But you know what he's more interested in? He's more interested in the people you influence looking at your life and saying this. Huh. He claimed to be a Christian. She invited me to church. Can you believe that? Look, look at her life. It's no better than mine. The enemy's not just trying to get you. He's trying to get your God. The enemy is trying to discredit the way of Christ. If he can point to you and say, look, look, they're no different than you. They fall like you. They fail like you. Why would you even need Jesus? Let me tell you what the enemy do. He can hinder other people from coming to faith in Christ. And the person after God's own heart is aware of that. It's not just your temptation. It's not a private temptation. It is always a kingdom battle. It's the God of the Bible versus the God of their culture. Let me show the third thing we learned from this story, and that is this. The small victories lead to big victories. The Goliath is really the first battle we have a narrative about in David's life. But it's not David's first rodeo. 
David goes into details about his shepherding battles against lions and bears. You remember that part of the story? If you don't, I'll just say David, David's telling them when they're trying to talk David out of fighting Goliath. David's telling them, well, hey, I've been out keeping sheep, and there have been lions that came up to attack the sheep, and I, I fought and killed the lions. And there have been bears that came up and tried to kill the sheep, and I fought and attacked the bears. And David, uh, by the way, was no match for a lion or bear either. But he was able to defeat them. But here's what the lions and the bears did. The reason God let him fight the lions and the bears was he was building David's faith for this moment. That David believed he could be victorious against Goliath because he'd been victorious before. And it's what he says in the story. David said, wait, hold on. I'm not an inexperienced youth. I fought a bear. I killed Goliath. I fought a lion. I killed Goliath. And God had used the lion and the bear for one purpose in David's life. And that was to get the faith and the belief that if I can do this, I can do that. Because he had fought the smaller battles, he was equipped for the bigger battles. Because he had had some small victories, David was ready for the, victory, uh, the bigger victory. Let me tell you this morning how to get ready to win in spiritual warfare. Here it is. You ready? Win. Wait, you say, preacher, that's circular logic. No, hear me. Winning begots winning. The more you win the more you learn how to win. We, we see it in stories. Uh, again, I'm going to go back. This is before my time. John Wooden and UCLA basketball, they, they won 50 years ago. They won 74-61 to over UC Santa Barbara, and then they did not lose for 87 more games, 88 games in a row. It's the longest winning streak in college basketball history. 1,084 days they did not lose a ball game. And by the way, that was longer than the term of seven U.S. presidents didn't make it that long, 1,084 days. They won three national championships, beat 45 different schools, including 15 who had won their own national championship. And it did not end until January 19th, 1974, against Notre Dame, where they had a big lead. And Notre Dame came storming back uh, to beat them. Notre Dame was bookends to the streak, as a matter of fact. They beat Notre Dame four times during the streak, but they, they were the last bookends of the streak and you say well what does that have to do with winning well winning led to winning because every year John Wooden would start the season off every way you read any book on John Wooden they all acknowledge the same thing that every year do you know how John Wooden started every uh, season every practice he taught his players how to put on socks every year and he said if you could win by putting your socks on the right way then you could win in other ways as well I was studying for this sermon last night, and I was reminded, and just forgive me for having to take my iPad here and pull it up, but I was reminded last night, I had recently read a book, it's been a few years ago, I'd read a book called The Winner Effect, and here's what he said in the book, let, let, me, let, me, let me read this to you, because it's so pertinent to what I want to say today. He said, in 1961, researchers coached crickets into cage matches, you know, like wrestling, WWE, cage matches. All in the name of science. And they put crickets in there to fight each other. And they said it's actually pretty vicious. They bite each other. They flip each other. It is a lot of like WWE wrestling match. But they said here's the most surprising detail of the research. Not that crickets were 
voracious fighters, but that after a male cricket won a bout, the winner kept winning over and over again. And after a losing cricket lost the bout, the losing cricket kept losing over and over again. Scientists call this phenomenon the winner effect. Studies have shown that fish and birds and people all have a similar pattern. Hear me. Winners keep on winning and losers keep on losing even after research control for talent, skill, and other factors are factored in. Preliminary studies suggest that winning increases testosterone levels, priming winners to take risks and compete while losing increases levels of the stress hormone cortisol, causing losers to become risk-averse and avoid competition. I won't, I won't bore you with reading the rest of it. You can grab the book if you want to. It's a fascinating read. But here's what they said. When you win, you know what happens? You keep winning. When you lose, you know what happens? You keep losing. I just described your Christian life in that sentence. Have you ever been or have you ever met the Christian who just cannot get out of their own way? That they keep losing and making bad decision and bad decision after bad decision, wrong decision after wrong decision. Why? It's, that, it's the winner effect kicking in that when you win, you tend to win. And when you lose, you tend to lose. And David said, hey, let me tell you something about fighting Goliath. I don't care how tall he is. I don't care how big he is. David said, let me tell you something about me. I'm a winner. And winners win. You say, well, preacher, that's awesome. But I might fall in the category of loser. Man, there were so many opportunities to make Tennessee jokes there that uh, uh, I just want you to know I'm passing up on every one of them. I just want you to know. Florida Gator jokes. There's so many jokes could be made right there. But so some of you would say, well, preacher, um, I'm a loser. What do I do? Hear me. If you hear anything I say this morning, hear this. Get small victories in your life. And small victories lead to bigger victories. You see what I mean? I mean, get the small victory of getting up 30 minutes early every day to spend time with the Lord in prayer and in your Bible study. You get that victory. You know what? That victory will carry over into more victories. You get the small victory of handing out an invite card to somebody at work or somebody at school, wherever it may be. You get that victory. It'll lead to more victories. You, you get the small victory, hear me, of coming to church and not missing a Sunday unless you are absolutely too sick to be here. You're not going to miss no matter what. You get that small victory, hear me, it leads to bigger victories. You get that small victory of volunteering to serve somewhere just so you can serve, it'll lead to bigger victories. Hey, you get the small victory of giving your tithe and your offering above and beyond, it leads to big, bigger victories. You get that small victory of removing one temptation from your life, one sin from your life, it'll lead to big, bigger victories. You get the victory of forgiving somebody who has wronged you, and that one victory will lead to bigger victories. Win the little battles, and when you do it, you'll be prepared for the big battles because small victories lead to big victories. And finally, number four, I've got to hurry up and finish number one we learned this faith fought the fight here's what he said in verse 46 today the lord will hand you over to me today the lord will hand you over to me can i tell you this morning that faith is the great equalizer in the christian battle hear me david 
charged at Goliath. Did you hear that? Charged at Goliath. And David says, I'm not trusting in my sling ability. I'm not trusting in my fighting ability. I'm not trusting in my army's ability. I'm trusting in the ability of the God I serve. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Can I say this to you this morning that today in the Christian life, our battles are won by faith? By faith, we believe greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. By faith, we believe we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. By faith, we, are, we believe that all things are possible. But wait, wait. It all depends on your understanding of the word faith. Hear me, this is good. Close your Bibles. I want to finish this up. Hear, hear me, this is, this is good. I've preached too long. When I take a week off, I can't shut up the next week. All right, so, so I preached too long. Hear me. But this, this is good. I want you to get it. Faith is not a passive bystander. Faith is an active believer. Hear me. Faith is not a passive bystander. That's how we interpret faith. Faith means I take God at his word and move forward. Here it is. Faith didn't cause David to stand still and wait for God to strike him with lightning, which is exactly how we interpret faith in our day. Here's, here's, what we, here's how we interpret faith. Lord, I'm just going to sit here and wait for you to handle this problem for me. That's not faith. That's laziness. That's weakness. David could have said, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand right here in the battlefield, and I'm going to wait for you, and I'm going to pray that you strike Goliath dead right in front of my eyes. Lord, we're going to pray that right now. I got the whole army praying, the whole choir's praying. I'm going to pray, just strike Goliath dead. That's, that's, not, that's not faith. That's not faith. You know what faith is? Faith looks the giant in the eye and says, I'm coming after you, big boy. You think you're a bad man? Hey, I'm five feet three, 14 year old, 87 pounds worth of bad boy right here. I'm coming after you. And David yelled, Charge. And while David's running doing this, David said, uh, God, I kind of got myself out here on a limb for you. I'm going to close my eyes. Let her rip tater chip and see what happens. Faith says charge, not stand still. Charge forward, believing the Spirit of God can set you free. Charge forward, believing following the Lord will favor your life. Charge forward, believing the Holy Spirit will guide you where you need to go. Charge forward, knowing that heaven waits on the other side. Faith says charge. Faith does not pause. Faith says charge. Some of you here today, and you're losing the battle in your life because your Christian life and your life is on pause and you're praying for a miracle to happen. All the while sitting still and here, here, here's literally how God interprets your lack of movement. Your lack of movement says, 
well, God, I will believe in you and I will trust you. If you do it first, then I'll put my trust in you. And God said, that's not how it works. I'm going to need you to charge at that giant with the sling. And I'm going to need you to put your faith in me first. I'll rescue you. Peter didn't need saved from the water until he had already stepped out of the boat. Peter said, Lord, I want to walk to you in water. And God said, take a step. Well, God, before that, would you build a bridge? I'm going to pray you build a bridge between me and you. No. You're going you're gonna, to... You, <laughs> You, you gonna let me walk on water, God? I don't know. Won't you see? Faith. Faith. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that incredible message. We all face giants. We've all got things in our life that come up against us and, um, and that, that we battle with and we struggle with. And David was no different in that he faced Goliath. Goliath represented opposition to God. And uh, when David fought Goliath, here's what David knew. The battle didn't belong to David. The battle belonged to God. And we've got to realize that in our own lives. And when we have Jesus living inside of us through His Holy Spirit, we've got the power of God to defeat the enemies that come up against us. We've got to believe that, we've got to trust it, and, um, and we've got to fight our battles in that way. And maybe you're watching this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And maybe God the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart this morning and you understand that you're a sinner. That's the first thing we have to do. We've got to be willing to admit that we're a sinner. We've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and on the third day, He rose again, conquering sin, death, and hell for me and for you. And then Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We've got to call on His name and confess Him as our Lord and Savior. And if you need to do that this morning, then I'm going to pray a prayer. And if, if God's spoken to your heart, you pray with me. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and on the third day He rose again, conquering sin, death, and hell for me. Right now, I ask you, God, through your Holy Spirit, to come into my heart and take away my sin. Be my Lord and Savior, in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning and you meant it, we want to say welcome to the family. And we want to connect with you and we want to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. We want to send you some resources and uh, we want to be there to help you. And so if you would, click on the link we've just dropped in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. And it's going to ask you a couple of questions. Answer those questions and we will uh, we'll reach out and connect with you. Hey, it's been awesome to be together. Don't forget Trunk or Treat, uh, 6.30 tonight. We'd love to see you here. God bless you. Have a great week. 
We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening. <music>